Hello and welcome to a mini episode of the Long in the Boot podcast. I am your host, Glenn Long, and I am coming to you from the heel of the boot, otherwise known as Southwest Louisiana. And as I'm sure you found out this week, the heel of the boot is sweaty. It is hot out there. I would imagine the heel is probably a little stinky too if it's been outside in this heat. Hope y'all are coping just fine and staying indoors and getting all that good air conditioning with that filtered air that doesn't filter out COVID virus, or at least that's what they keep telling us. Got a phone number for you to call. It's area code 337-502-9011. Didn't get anybody wanted to call in and tell me who they thought would win the election. I got a better idea. Give me a call at 337-502-9011 and tell me what you think about Joe Biden's pick for vice president. Seen a lot of different opinions, and I'm kind of curious what kind of opinions you folks might have. The website for Long in the Boot is www.longintheboot.com and my email, as always, longintheboot at gmail.com. And I have received a few emails, and I appreciate each and every one, and I answered a couple of them personally. Nothing to get into too much on on the podcast, but please, if you have an idea about Biden's vice presidential pick, I sure would like to hear your opinion, and give me a good one. Make it funny. Have fun. Say what you wish. It doesn't matter, and I will put it on the air if it tickles my funny bone. So on the last podcast, when I was waiting for my COVID result, which was negative, by the way, which I knew, I uh, talked about Tulane University and the fact that they cancel cultured gentleman by the name of Edward Ball, who had written an excellent book, and it is excellent, Klansman in the Family, that dealt with white supremacist ideology in the post-Civil War South, specifically New Orleans, and talked about how Tulane got their panties in a bunch and decided that his words were just too violent. Those words were going to hurt somebody because as we know, words can hurt you. Like the saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will always hurt me. And I began wondering after the show, where did Tulane go wrong? You know, Tulane used to be a premier uh, university, and I found something that kind of sticks out a little bit. And maybe this was the beginning of so many people at Tulane being so easily butthurt uh, by words from a man who was actually coming at white supremacy from the side of supporting people who want to change the dynamic. Two years ago, 2018 to be specific, on a website called Campus Reform is where the article was, but it did state that Tulane University starting in 2018 was requiring all new students to choose a race and inclusion course. Now, they already had 16 required courses for graduating from Tulane, though they added this one to it, so it made it 17 courses, but race and inclusion Uh, The new requirement came after many students, supposedly, we don't have any proof of this, after many students reported that their perceptions of a diverse campus were not met when they came to Tulane. I don't know what they thought Tulane was going to give them, but there was not a diverse campus. Now, if they had gone to Tulane back in the 1800s, they would have absolutely been correct because only white students were allowed to go to Tulane. That is no longer the case. 
There might be reasons why there is a preponderance of white folks, which I'll get to in just a second. Anyway, needless to say, some people were not happy about this new requirement, and some people thought it was a great idea. Tulane announced that all new enrollees will be mandated to enroll in a course that focuses at least 60% of its content on race and inclusion to help students understand the increasingly diverse society they live in. Courses they could take include Dear White People or Critical Race Theory. Or how about this one? This one sounds fun. Introduction to Fiction, Race and Inclusion. Yes, I know. Does sound fun, doesn't it? Oh, man. Professor Michael Cunningham, who advocated for the new requirement, but doesn't actually teach any of the classes, told Campus Reform that the requirement was partially prompted by students' disappointment with the lack of diversity engagement on campus. Like, that's the school's responsibility. He said... One of the reasons that students reported a desire to attend Tulane was because of the perceived diversity. Many students reported that their perceptions were not met when they got to campus. The new requirement will also prepare Tulane students to work as part of a diverse workforce, he added. And he added something else as well, and I'm going to go ahead and do it with his voice because, after all, He's a professor, and I am sure a a very brilliant, brilliant man, because only brilliant men are professors at major universities. He said, quote, Well, by the year 2044, the U.S. population will be comprised of a majority of people from racial, ethnic, and linguistic diverse backgrounds. Thus, the normal experience of growing up in the U.S. is inclusive of the experiences from racial and ethnic minority populations. Now, I don't know if that's what he sounded like, but that's how I heard it. One of the classes that fulfilled the requirement this uh, for that semester in 2018 was Introduction to Fiction, Race, and Inclusion, taught by Joel Dinerstein, or Dinerstein. Anyway, that professor told Campus Reform that he called it a boot camp course on race. Ooh, a boot camp course. He says the goal was for students to read non-white authors critiquing American society and race in order to open them up to new perspectives outside of American mythologies of equality and freedom. Notice he says that equality and freedom are myths in the United States. The class, you know, as I said, was added to the 16 classes that students already were forced to take. But what about the other side? What about students who said, wait a minute? Maybe there's something else at play here. Peyton Lofton, president of Turning Point USA, uh, their chapter at Tulane, said, there might be a better way to help minorities on campus. Peyton said, if Tulane truly wants to address racial diversity of the student body, they need to focus on the biggest barrier preventing students from disadvantaged groups from attending Tulane, and that's cost. Currently, Tulane's cost of attendance, now remember this is 2018, Tulane's cost of attendance is $72,236 per year, and that cost goes up by an average of 3% annually. You know, that might just be the thing that's keeping poor people from attending Tulane. That might be it. Wow, what do you know? Marcus Maldonado, president of the Young Americans for Liberty chapter at Tulane, said he supports the diversity and inclusion requirement. But he does worry that it might promote progressive views on the differences between certain racial or gender communities rather than promote open discussion about these differences. 
Maldonado said, diversity of opinion and thought ought to be promoted in any class focused on inclusion. And Rachel Altman, vice president of Young Americans for Liberty, said she wishes the classes would focus on religious and political diversity, too. She said, I've noticed problems at Tulane with people making blanket statements about people with different political views and refusing to engage in open discussions. Really? Is that what you think? Have you been on Facebook? That's not just at Tulane. Here's an idea, and this is my idea. If we need to lower the price at Tulane to allow people from, you know, underprivileged groups uh, to be able to attend Tulane, then I think the professors who are pushing for this diversity and inclusion training should take a 50% pay cut, and that money should be used to lower the cost for those students. Consider it a form of welfare or socialism, but in a small group. If you make or if you come from a family that is considered under the poverty line and you want to go to Tulane and you have the grades to do it, well, then we'll take half of the professor's pay and use that to offset the difference of going to Tulane. Because after all, Tulane at 72 and we add 3% a year, so it's been two years. Let's just say round it off to a nice even $75,000 a year. So $300,000, one nearly a third of a million dollars to attend Tulane University, I think that the way to do it is to have the professors put their money where their mouth is. Why wouldn't they be willing to take a pay cut and help these poor, underprivileged students? Anyway, so now I think maybe we got an idea two years ago where the kids who thought words would hurt got their ideas. It's been two years. They started out as freshmen. Now they're juniors and seniors, and they were terrified that some words in a book might harm them. Good job, Tulane. You really did a great job getting kids to talk about race and inclusion and and to look at the diversity of opinions that are on campus today. Mm, Man, Tulane, huh? All right. Well, Tulane's not the only crazy campus out there. There's a couple others as well. Math is racist. Sounds hard to believe, doesn't it? But another one of these really smart professors is going to educate you on why math is racist. Brooklyn College professor of math education, Lori Rubel, argued this week on, where else, Twitter, that the mathematical equation 2 plus 2 equals 4 reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. Rubel's tweet was retweeted and promoted by several academics at universities and colleges around the nation. It's hard to believe so many smart people. According to a report by Campus Reform, Brooklyn College professor Lori Rubel, who teaches math education, tried to make the case this week that basic math is white supremacist. The tweets are part of a larger trend in recent scholarship by American academics, many of which have argued that objective truth is a social construct. Think about that for a minute. Objective truth is a social construct. She says... The idea that math, or data, is culturally neutral or in any way objective is a myth. I'm ready to move on with that understanding. Who's coming with me? And she wrote that in her tweet. I don't know how many people went with her. She said, and and she added, along with the, of course, math is neutral because 2 plus 2 equals 4 trope, and the related and creepy math is pure, reeks of white supremacist patriarchy. I'd rather think on nurturing people and protecting the planet with math in service of them goals. Now, I did say it correctly. That's what she wrote. 
going to say that again. Just listen to the end of that sentence. I'd rather think of nurturing people and protecting the planet with math in service of them goals. So smart. So very, very smart. Several academics from institutions around the nation have chimed in. Harvard PhD candidate, I'll say that again, Harvard PhD candidate Kareem Carr suggests that math should be reevaluated because it was primarily developed by white men. I'll get back to that in just a second because it's hard to deal with so many smart people in one place. People say it's subjectivism to ask if math is Western. This is him saying this. I don't get that. It's an objective fact that some groups were more involved in the creation of modern math than others. They may have been trying to make it objective, but it's not stupid to ask if they succeeded. Um, Kareem, it is, in fact, stupid to ask if they succeeded because math is objective. (sighs) This is our country, folks. A few academics have pushed back, however. They say uh, (laughs) Jamie Lindsay, one of the academics behind a recent series of hoax papers that were actually published in social justice journals, uh, which is a hilarious story that I'll have to get into one of these days. It's certainly the case, and the woke need to be held firmly to the point, that feats of engineering like space travel and rocketry utterly depend upon accepting stable meanings of mathematical statements like 2 plus 2 equals 4 as objectively true, not mere accidents of culture. No kidding. And, you know, again, so many smart people agreeing with Miss Rubel that math is racist because, of course, white people, you know, they invented math. Well, it's really kind of funny because if you just do a little research, and these people are professors, I would think they'd know how, you can find out that mathematics was being used as early as 3000 BC by the Mesopotamian states of Sumer, Akkad, and Assyria, along with Egypt and Ibla, who began using arithmetic, algebra, geometry for the purposes of taxation, commerce, trade. They also were learned in the field of astronomy, which, get this, takes math, and they formulated calendars and recorded time. Yeah, white people, huh? Now, we've been told by a lot of people that all those folks back then were brown people, not white people. So you can't have it both ways. If they're the ones that came up with math, then it's certainly not Western Europeans that did it. They also get very, very upset for some reason about the Pythagorean theorem. You know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Everybody who's ever built a porch kind of knows how that works. It's a great way of making a square. Uh, They get really upset that we call it that. But in the 6th century BC with the uh, with the folks that followed Pythagoras, they actually created the term mathematics. I mean, they they came up with that word, but we only use it because that's what we drew from during the Renaissance when they were studying the classics. Greek mathematicians certainly refined a lot of the math that they got a hold of. But in fact, higher order math came through the Hindu Arabic trade routes. At the time that Hindus and uh, Indians and Arabs were using Arabic numerals for all of their operations and for trade and for taxation, they were still using Roman numerals in Europe. 
And Roman numerals are horrible for all kinds of reasons. I'm not going to get into how difficult it is to do higher order math with Roman numerals. But you, and, and of course, the other thing is they didn't have zero. Western Europe thought zero, the idea of zero, was in fact evil. Anyway, the Hindu-Arabic numeral system is well known to have been developed through the work of a Muslim, uh, Muhammad ibn al-Khwarizmi. And you can look him up. He's brilliant, brilliant mathematician. And the work he did came into Europe and they adapted it. Now, also, at the same time that was going on, you had civilizations in Central and South America who were developing their own mathematics system, and it also had the concept of zero in their math. So this idea that math is somehow Western European is just nonsense, which, again, shows you how smart all of these professors actually are. And don't think that it's not, that it's just a weird fluke. I found an article about Seattle, you know, Seattle, the town that's having riots and various other problems right now, along with Portland, Seattle schools, October, 2019, Seattle schools proposed to teach that math education is racist. You heard that right. According to Seattle educators, math instruction in the United States is an example of Western math, which apparently is the appropriation of mathematical knowledge by Western cultures. So you see Western cultures stole math. While everyone agrees that 2 plus 2 is 4, 3 times 3 is not, and that there are 360 degrees in a circle, Western math critics worry about more nuanced issues, such as why we teach kids Western counting and not, for example, how the Aborigines count. I'm going to go ahead and answer that real quick. The Aborigines, the numeral system didn't really go above 4. They, they, they didn't have a need for numbers in their civilization. There's uh, videos, there's documentaries that I've seen that talk about the fact that the Aborigines, for instance, don't have uh, numbers for distance. They have songs. They use songs to know how far they've walked, and the song goes a certain distance. But math isn't cultural. (laughs) All the truths of math already exist. Even truths that we have not discovered yet exist. Two plus two always equaled four, even before they discovered two plus two equals four. Oh man, so many smart people. It's just I, I don't I don't know what to say. Anyway, Seattle's new proposed math curriculum, this was one year ago, will take US public schools math instruction where no one has gone before. And I looked at it and it's crazy. Students will be taught in math class. How Western math is used as a tool of power and oppression, and that it disenfranchises people and communities of color. They will be taught that Western math limits economic opportunities for people of color. They will be taught that mathematics knowledge has been withheld from people of color. People of color brought it to Europe. We we didn't withhold what they already had. If you're struggling to understand this logic, you are not alone. I don't know how the Pythagorean theorem or Euclidean geometry oppresses people or communities of color. I don't understand any of it personally, and I think it's absolutely bonkers. 
that's what's going on in education today. You thought it was just about COVID and can we go back to school? Heck no. (laughs) By the way, California is going to adopt the same program for math. We're going to be teaching kids in math class about how math keeps them down. Maybe that was always my problem because I'll be honest, I suck at math. I mean, I can do basic math, even some low-level basic algebra. But past that, no, not a chance. I get somebody who's smarter than me to do it. But uh, maybe that's what we need to be teaching the kids. Hey, can you get somebody to learn, learn to find somebody who can cheat on your test for you? California, for instance, has spent 26% more per pupil since 2011, and test scores for math continue to plummet. But I am sure that by switching to pointing out that math is somehow subjective and keeps people of color down will absolutely fix the problem. Uh, They're also going to teach the kids, and this is my favorite, how to use a Chinese abacus, which is great. I mean, a Chinese abacus, hey, if you want to learn to use that, that's fine. But yeah, good luck trying to figure out uh, 10 decimal points past the decimal with an abacus for you know, like compound interest and things like that. Yeah, who needs compound interest? We don't need that. So if you think that uh, kids are going to be doing worse at math in some places, you would be absolutely right. Wow. Common Core, kids. That's the Common Core math curriculum. Anyway, so coming up next week, Habs and I will be able to finally do our hurricane show. We're going to talk about uh, hurricanes of the past, uh, the long ago past, and also more recent I'm going to talk about the Galveston storm. Very interesting information on the Galveston storm. I uh, We're going to uh, talk a little bit. Of, a lot of the information comes from uh, the book called Isaac's Storm. If you haven't read that, please pick it up. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and assign it to you. Read the book before next weekend's show, or before next week's show. And we're going to talk about Katrina, of course. We'll talk about Rita. And we're also going to talk about Hurricane Harvey. And yes, I'm still doing that horrible Jimmy Stewart impression. Anyway, that's what we got coming up next week. Again, if you got an opinion on Joe Biden's vice presidential pick, I sure would like to hear it at 337-502-9011. Or if you'd like to send me an email, it's longintheboot at gmail.com. And of course, the website for show notes and such is www.longintheboot.com. Really appreciate everybody listening to the show and some of the emails that I've gotten have been very nice and some of the responses on Facebook have been really nice as well. They tell me I'm going to have to eventually go on Twitter and try to promote it a little bit too, but Twitter seems to have a little bit of a learning curve and it scares me. (laughs) Well, that about wraps it up for this mini-sode of Long in the Boot. Please join us for our hurricane episode next week. And until then, y'all stay clear of the heat, try to get some shade, and whatever you do, don't wear your boots without socks because then the heel of the boot will definitely get sweaty and smell bad. That's right. Words of advice from your host, Glenn Long. Anyway, y'all enjoy the week. We'll see you soon.